Well, I have received a full page of questions. Uh, first of all, I would like to say that uh, nobody can answer all the questions. And even if people try to answer questions, their answer is still quite uh, limited. The only answer, the only one who is able to answer all questions, I guess you all know, is the Lord himself. So, that's the reason why you find in the new covenant that our Lord Jesus covenanted with us. There is one article. Now, if you read Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11, it will tell you, you do not need anyone to say to you, know the Lord, because every one of you know him in himself, from the littlest one to the greatest one. Now that is in the New Covenant. And today we are people of the New Covenant. In the old days, because they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. So how do they know the Lord? They knew the Lord by people telling them, Know the Lord. In other words, people who are knowledgeable in the scripture have understanding, then they will tell others, know the Lord. But such kind of knowing is objective knowledge. That is to say, you gather knowledge from outside. Now today, we are living in the New Covenant. And the Lord tells us, you don't need anyone to tell you, know the Lord. Why? Because he said, everyone shall know him in himself. And the word know is different from the first know, because this know is subjective knowledge. In other words, it is experiential knowledge. Within yourself, you will know the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And He will show you the Lord. Even from the littlest one, that is to say, if you are newly saved, you have the Holy Spirit in you. So you have the opportunity of knowing the Lord in yourself experientially and inward knowledge. And if you are the greatest one, it is the same thing. But of course, you know Him with more experience and know Him more. So this is the new covenant. 
So first of all, I hope we as believers, we need to exercise our spirit and try to know the Lord inwardly. If we open our hearts to the Lord, if we pray to Him, if we wait upon Him, He will show you in your spirit what is the will of God. And that is the real knowing the Lord. Now, if that's the case, we often say, we will throw out all the teachers out of the window because we have no need of them. So why is it God raised up teachers, prophets, evangelists? Why? It is not because He wants us to be taught outwardly. Put it in another way. Your life is so precious to the Lord. He will not commit your life to anyone. He himself will take care of your life. And he takes care of your life by the Holy Spirit who deals, deals in you. But because we are human beings, we have our weaknesses. So probably we misunderstand what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. So that's how God raised up teachers, prophets, evangelists, those people, not to direct our life, but to confirm or correct how we feel. So these are their works. So in other words, I may be able to help you a little bit as to your questions. But the real answer, the Lord has to give you the real answer. And as I look through all these questions, I feel these are good questions. And uh, in my own little experience, I would like to share with you how I feel about these questions. In a limited sense, because that's all I know. And I hope I'll share something according to the Word of God and it may be a help to you. I don't think that it will solve your problems, but it may be a help. So that's all I can do. Uh, now, you have two different kinds of questions. One kind has nothing to do with what you are reading now. That is the secret of Christian living. And the other questions have something to do with the secret of Christian living. Now, I will read the first one. The Lord did some special work 
amongst the Moravians, the Brethren, and China in the twenties and thirties, and others in other times. How can the Lord do a similar work in our midst today? What is unique about these brethren that allowed the Lord to work? Was it that they prayed more, laid down their lives more, or is it that the Lord sovereignly made special provision so they could follow His move? Can you share through your experience of the revival in China with us so we can learn from history? I feel the spirit behind such a question is commendable. There is a prayer that I do feel should be our prayer constantly. And it is the prayer of Habakkuk. You remember Habakkuk in the Old Testament? In chapter 3, verse 2, he prayed a prayer. He said, Revive thy work, Lord, in these days. So, in whatever days we are in, deep down within us, there should be a prayer to the Lord. Revive thy works. And this reviving thy works is not what we usually think of revivals. Now, I believe you have heard of revival campaign, revival conference, revival meetings. Uh, You know, from time to time, uh, you have a special revival meeting and try to stir up uh, God's people. But oftentimes, such revival will come and go, you know, it is more uh, an uplifting of our emotion than really solve the problem. Now, revive thy works is in connection with God's purpose. We realize that God is working out His purpose. You remember our Lord Jesus said, My Father worketh hitherto and I work. So there's one work that God is doing. And that is the work that Christ is doing. And that is the work that we are committed to do. And that is that God can work out His purpose. So in whatever age you may be in, This should be the prayer of God's people. In other words, we are concerned not just for our own interest. We are concerned for the interest of God. So I say the spirit of such a question is commendable. We should have such a spirit. Now I, even though I read about the Moravian movement and about the brothering movement. I guess 
evidently you have read or have heard about such history. But in a sense, I was involved in that uh, reviving work of God in China. So that's more intimate to me. And I look into what God has done in China. Actually, you can see it is the result of the travailing prayer of two sisters. Miss Margaret E. Barber, she came to China to Fuchao as a missionary from uh, the Anglican Church. She was sent to Fuchao to teach in a school. And he knew the Lord. She loved the Lord. So while she was teaching in that school, she led a number of students to the Lord. And because of that, she aroused the jealousy of his fellow teachers. So they accused her of some big sins. And the committee, without telling her what he was accused of, told her that she should return to England. And when she asked for the reason and who was accusing her, they refused to tell her. And of course she was greatly disturbed. She prayed to the Lord. She felt it was an injustice. At least she should know who was accusing her or who, what he was accused of. But they refused to do that. While he was praying, the Lord told her. He said, I'm the head. You are a member of the body of Christ. And the one who accused you is also a member of the body of Christ. Which member, which, which member, whichever member suffer, I suffer. So why don't you just be quiet? And she submitted to the Lord. So she returned to India. Now eventually she was justified. And after she returned to England she met with an independent group. That independent group was led by the Pendleton. Uh, I suppose some of you know have read the writings of the impenitent. He was one greatly used by the Lord 
especially in prophecy. So while she was there, she felt the Lord wanted her to come back to China. But there was no mission behind her. So she wondered whether she should come back to China. And finally, she was told, if the Lord sent you there, then you go. So he returned. And because of the other missionary ostracized her, so she went to a village outside of Fuchao. And she came with her niece. So two of them stayed in the village and they tried to evangelize the village people. But as they were doing that, she felt in her heart that if God should do something in China, there should be some intellectual people being caught by God, and that will influence China. So she began to, they began to pray that the Lord will raise up some educated people to start the work of God in China. And it was mainly through their prayer that the students in Trinity College began to receive help from her. And Brother Watchman was the one who was most helped because she was a disciplinary. And when people went to her, they were dealt with. And people could not bear it. And thank God for our brother that she was able to uh, be under such discipline for a long time. She told, he told us uh, himself how he sometimes suffered from his uh, fellow workers. And he felt he was right. So he went to see Miss Baba, hoping that Miss Baba will uh, stand with her. And Miss Baba always tell her, your brother is older than you are. Obey the older one. And she said she was so disappointed, but by the grace of God, she learned the lesson. So when you trace back what God did in China in the 20s, 1920s, it really come to the basic reason for that revival is through the travailing prayer of Miss Baba and her niece. So in the early 20s, God began to save a group of students in the Trinity College. All the best students and the worst students of every class got saved. And then in 1922, they tried to hold 
a public meeting for the first time. And they invited a sister from Nanking to come to that revival meeting. And that sister was Miss Ruth Lee because she was at that time the editor of the famous Christian magazine. And her story was a story by herself because she was a most educated woman. But she was an atheist. She was against Christianity. And the Lord wonderfully saved her. So they invited her to come to lead the revival meeting. As a matter of fact, she came only for three days and she had to leave. But the work of God began. So the students just continue on. And that's how it first began in Fuchao. But during that time, their main burden was evangelism. They would go out to the streets and preach. During vacation, they would go to other cities to preach the gospel. It was mainly an evangelical uh, approach. But while they were meeting together, the Lord began to open the eyes of our brother Watchman. As he studied the Bible, he began to feel that God has something more than just evangelism. God wants people to gather together and to build up together as his church, as his body. So he tried to share this with his fellow workers, but they did not have that vision. So finally, he had to leave. So when you trace the history, actually, the work began in Shanghai because of the war situation. Sister Ruth Lee, Sister Peace Wong, they all moved to Shanghai. And Brother Lee also came to Shanghai. So they first met together in Peace Wong's house. And gradually, in 1923, they ran a place in Hadong Road uh, uh, in Shanghai and started a meeting there. Thank God, I came to know Brother Lee in 1930. It was after I was saved. I was a senior in high school. And we organized Christian meetings every Friday after school. We used the Sunday school building of the Methodist Church to have our so-called uh, message meetings. 
and we try to invite all the famous preachers in Shanghai to come and preach to us. So every Friday we change a preacher. Until after a while we exhausted all the famous preachers. So I still remember four of us were irresponsible, two teachers and two students. And we talk about whom should we invite next? And one teacher said, I heard of a watchman knee. I would try to find him and ask him to come and preach to us. So he did. Now our school is in the opposite part of Shanghai to where Brother Lee met. And it was a Tuesday. So a teacher went to join their Bible study. Every Tuesday at that time, they had Bible study. And during the Bible study, they studied what you now hear, what you now have, gospel dialogue. In other words, all the questions about the gospel. So every Tuesday, raise a question about the gospel. And they will fellowship on that, and Brother Nee will also spoke on that. And after that meeting, the teacher asked Brother Nee to come and preach to us. And he did. So I still remember one Friday afternoon, after school, I went to that Methodist Church Sunday School building and I was introduced to Brother Watchman Lee. He was 12 years older than I. And he came with another brother. And of course he gave us a gospel message. I still remember what he spoke. He spoke on God is willing. It was published later on. And we were touched. But thank God I was already saved. <laughs> and since that time, I went back to hear him at least once. I was deeply impressed. You know, at that time they met on Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. But because of the distance, we did not know how much time it would take. So I and another teacher went. And we went there, arrived there at 1 o'clock. So we went into that meeting place. It is in a house. And you have chairs there. And in the courtyard, you have long beach benches put in there with open air. You know, nobody was there. So we were the two in that room. And as young people, we began to talk and laugh, laugh and make lots of noises. Then suddenly the back door opened. And a brother came in and said, please be quiet because Mr. Nee was resting upstairs. My, we were so frightened. <laughs> and by two o'clock, the place was filled. Nobody talked. Whenever people came in, they sat down there either reading the Bible or quietly praying. That atmosphere touched me very deep. 
And by 2 o'clock, Brother Lee came down and preached. Two hours. No movement. No other sound. The atmosphere really touched you very deep. I could never forget. But of course, uh, I was uh, too hot. I was on fire at that time. I was trying even to serve the Lord uh, on my terms. So I, I was not ready to hear more. But thank God afterwards, when the Lord took me away from that kind of atmosphere and put me in a spiritual uh, freezer, I was all alone in the school, in the dormitory. And it was during that time the Lord began to open my heart and show me His way. So during these early days, we do find that the Lord began to move. And in the 30s, all along the coast of China, you have meetings everywhere. Now, some meetings began without our knowing, especially the meetings in Manchuria. The Lord gave these brothers the same vision. It was afterwards that we contacted each other. And when the war broke out, with the Japanese, and people began to migrate to interior China. And of course, many brothers and sisters went into interior China, and we also followed into the interior China. And that's how the work began in interior China. So after the war was over, you find that God's work has spread all over China. Now that is the way that God works. You cannot repeat God's work. But you can see that there is some principles behind. Number one, God is sovereign. Not because we want a revival. Therefore, we make a revival. You cannot do that. God has his own timing. And from time to time in, in history, you will find that when God moves, that there will be a revival, a recovery. Something that will affect even the whole world. In every time, is different. But the principle is the same. When God began to move, or when God began to react, He usually will touch 
one or few people. And give them the burden to pray. Travail in prayer. You can always trace back to any recovery to that. It begins with very small, maybe one person, maybe a few people. And the Lord began to reveal himself to them, give them some understanding of what the Lord desires, and they began to pray, travail, and gradually you find the Lord began to raise up something towards the recovery of his work. That principle is always there. So far as I I feel you know in every age it seems as if God moves differently. We are now living at the end of the end time. Will God, before the coming of the Lord, give us another movement as we find in past histories? Now that is a question. I don't know how to answer it. whether God will still do such a visible work before the return of our Lord Jesus. Some people think there will be. Other people think probably it will not be. So I don't know. I don't know whether Visibly, we will have another such movement that will affect the whole world. Or whether God will rather do it more secretly. In other words, God will do something to prepare the bride of our Lord Jesus. He cannot return if his bride is not ready. And as you look at the time we are living, we feel it's very close. So whether there will be such a outward, visible movement again in church history, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that there will be such a move in secret. Because in the last days, God will move around the world to capture the hearts of people all over the world 
in a minority situation, not the whole church being revived, but overcomers. Those who are faithful to the Lord, they will be, as the man child, being born. And when that happens, the coming of the Lord arrives. So to me, I feel, now people often ask me this question. Looking at the church situation today, can you expect a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thought? to be the bride of the Lamb. It doesn't look like it. Now, if you want the whole church to be revived worldwide in that way as happened in the past, it seems to be very impossible. But how did God, how will God accomplish his purpose. He will, but how? So that's my feeling. I feel that with the eyes of faith, you can see God has his hidden ways all over this world. I have met people in unexpected places. God made a real move. But it was unknown by the word. So, brothers and sisters, I do feel that it is our burden and responsibility. We shall pray that the Lord will revive his work in our days. It may not come as we expect, but it will come. And if by the grace of God we are among the red, thank God for his mercy. So that's the way I feel about the first question. Now the second question is why is it so hard to love the Lord? What is your secret to keep your first love so fresh until now? Now you do not know me. <laughs> I do confess that today it is very difficult to love them because we are living in the end days. Lawlessness prevails. And as our Lord Jesus say in Matthew chapter 24, because lawlessness, lawlessness prevails, our love grows cold. Temptations from the world, our timing, living that we live in, all these make it very difficult for us to love the Lord. We are very easy to lose 
our first love. That is very true. But the Lord said, He that endures to the end shall be saved. So this is a critical time for us. You know, it is not easy to maintain our first love to the Lord. The demands of this age that we live in, the temptations that surround us, and lawlessness prevail over this world. It is very easy to us to lose our first love. Very easy. Then what can we do? How can we maintain our first love? I remember the word of the Apostle Paul. Paul in Second Timothy chapter 1, he says, I know whom I have believed. And I believe that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. In other words, the preservation of the saints lies, non, lies not in ourselves. The preservation of the saints depends upon the Lord. He is able to keep us. We are not able. No matter how you try, you put your best efforts to it. The world is too strong for you. Self is too strong for you. You cannot overcome. With man it is impossible. With God all things are possible. So number one, thank God we know whom we have believed. Number two, do we commit ourselves to the Lord as a deposit for Him to keep? If we try to keep ourselves, we'll lose it. But if we really hand ourselves to the Lord, you will find He's able to keep us until that day. We may fall, but even fall seven times, we will still rise up. Now that is His grace. So, brothers and sisters, all I can say is the Lord suffered. That's our only guarantee. You know. You commit yourself to him. And he will see to it. That you will not lose your first love. So that's all I can say. Now these are general questions. And now we come to the questions. After you have read all the. Having read with the. Secret of Christian living. I find the secret of Christian living very helpful. You know, the normal Christian life really affects God's people in the world greatly.
when I come to this country in 1952. That was the book that really stirred up the Christian world. Pastors say to me, how that book transformed his life. Big publishers, editors told me how he was changed. One editor, one big editor, he told me he was changed by reading the spiritual man because he was the editor of spooky books. And he himself got spooky. <laughs> and it was that book that saved him. You know? So, that book really helped lots of people. But that book was a little bit difficult to read. The reason is our brother watchman spoke this message while he was in Europe. And after he spoke, Dr. Kinnear edited it. So it's English, English. London English. So it's a little bit difficult. But thank God, before Brother Nee went to Europe, in 1936, he traveled in China. And he gave the same message, just in different places. But those listeners were Chinese. We were not that educated, <laughs> sophisticated. So he tried to speak it with many illustrations. And he's tried to speak it more directly. So it is much more easy to be understood. So I feel that this book, The Secret of Christian Living, actually is an easier book to understand than the normal Christian life. Now, when you are reading that book, you have these questions. First, I have heard and learned much knowledge of the truth. And oftentimes, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We find ourselves always struggling and not able to live out what we learn. Have you had similar experience in your early days? Would you be able to share with us how the Lord brought you through? Well, I thank God for such experience. If you have never had such kind of experience, I don't know where you are. You know, after we are saved, as I say this morning, we have a new life in us. And this new life in us is what you say here, the Spirit is willing. 
Now, with unbelievers, they don't have this problem. But with believers, you begin to have this problem. Your spirit is willing. As Paul said, to will is in me, but to do is not me, because my flesh is weak. So you have this experience of the conflict between the spirit and the flesh, or between the spirit and the soul. Because you have two lives within you. You have Christ in you, in your spirit. You have self in you, in your soul. And old Adam is stronger than young Melanchthon. So that's our experience. So how we struggle over this matter. Even the Apostle Paul, he struggled over this matter. I believe it is an experience we have to go through. Because through that kind of experience, we begin to really enter into the real knowledge of God. The knowledge that we have accumulated from our side, biblical knowledge, truth. But these are objective knowledge. You know it. But instead of delivering you, they condemn you. That's my experience. If I don't know, I feel better. But because I know, so I'm condemned. You know, you remember in John, the, the Lord said, when the Holy Spirit came, you will be convicted by sin because you do not believe in me. By righteousness because I go to my Father. In other words, our Lord Jesus is able to go back to the Father. But we are not able to go there. Because we are unrighteous. So, it condemns us, you know. And thank God, that's the way the Lord tried to deliver us. So, we, we will go through such experience until we come to a day. Just like Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? from this body of death. Not until that day. You won't be delivered. You will still be struggling because you are trying to overcome by your own strength. And it is the purpose of God to make you defeat. Thank God for the defeat. If you are successful, then you don't learn the lesson. But because you fail, you begin to learn the lesson and come to the same conclusion as God has concluded, that there is no good in your flesh. So try no more. So what can you do? 
then immediately following verse 25, thank God through Jesus Christ. So, that is when the crisis really comes. Now, in different Christians, the experience are different. If you read the secret of Christian living, if I remember right, Brother Nee gave his own experience. He was already serving the Lord. But he was struggling over this matter. He was told Romans 6, 6. Our old man was crucified with Christ. And he was told by people, Romans 6, 11, reckon yourself as dead. So he tried to reckon, reckon, reckon. The more he reckoned, the more living he became. And he went through this for some years, struggling. Until one day, when he was reading the scripture, suddenly God gave him a revelation, a light. He saw that God has put him in Christ. So when Christ died, he died. That's a fact. And you remember how he ran down from his room and in the kitchen he met a brother. He took that brother and said, Do you know I died? (laughs) You know the story. Now when you're reading books like that, it is as if it's so drastic. So probably you are hoping that you will have such drastic experience. Now that's the thought of reading biographies. Because biographies always give you something drastic. Because otherwise it's not interesting. But when you come to real fact, it's different. God deals with everyone differently. Why? Because we all have different temperament. You know, I always say, not only everyone's physical feature is different. You look at the face, small area, only five things there. And God can arrange these five things in your face and make everyone different. Even the queen, even the teens are different. Wonderful. And when God gave us our soul, our soul also has a shape. And that shape is all different. So, the shape of our soul is what we call today temperament. You are born with certain temperaments. Some people are born quick. Some people are born slow. And God often put the quick and the slow together. You know, some people are extroverts. Some people are introverts. Different. Everyone is different. 
And when you look at how God deals with people, he deals with people according to your temperament. So with some people, their spiritual experience is drastic crisis. Then after another crisis, that's the way they grow. But other people, they gradually grow until one day, without their knowledge, they cross the Rubicon. They're already in a different place. That's the way God did with people. Now, so far as my little experience concerned, you know my temperament. <laughs> I grow into it very slowly. But thank God, one day it seems real to me. Now, not because of that, you don't fail anymore. You continue to fail, but by the grace of God, the recovery is quicker. So it doesn't mean that because you have crossed as a cross a threshold, therefore you're perfect. Not so. Not so. No one can guarantee you for life. You have to depend upon the Lord. He is the only one who is able to preserve you. So you find in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twenty-three, twenty-four, it said, "The God of peace sanctify your holy spirit, soul, and body, and keep you, preserve you, blameless at the coming of the Lord." And He who calls you is faithful. He will perform it. So, it is the performance of our Lord Jesus. Without the Lord Jesus, nothing you can do. So, when you come to such issue, thank God for such issue. Because that is the way God is working His work out in your life. Keep on believing, trusting Him. More and more, you begin to realize you cannot do anything. And you don't try anymore. Until one day, maybe with some people, you know it. Maybe with other people, you don't know it. But you are changed. That's the way it is. So don't be disappointed because I know a number of people reading these biographies always try to look the same kind of experience. And if they don't have it, they say that, well, they have failed. Not so. Trust the Lord. He knows how to deal with each and every one of us. But the fact is the same. You cannot, you cannot deceive yourself. You know, if you have it, you have it. Not by your effort, by God's grace. If you don't have it, you cannot pretend that you have it. It doesn't work. So, I feel that's the way it is. Now, another question. As a group, 
Most of the times we are battled with our individual concerns, lacking the burden for the church and his kingdom. What will be the way for us as a group to reach there? If you read the scripture, when do you really enter into body life? It is true when you are saved, you know that you are not alone. Because when you meet another Christian, immediately you find there is a bond. You belong to one body. You are members of one another. But even though you have that body consciousness, it doesn't give you a deep sense that you have to live a body life. In other words, you can still continue to live as an individual. Now, how do you come to really to the place where you begin to see that without the body, you cannot live? You know, I often remember the story told by Brother Nee. When he was in England, he went to visit George Cutting. Now, you may have heard of George Cutting, because George Cutting wrote a pamphlet called Safety, Certainty, and Enjoyment. That pamphlet, aside from the Bible, the pamphlet has the widest circulation. Many people, because of their, that uh, little pamphlet, really understand what salvation is. So, Brother Nee went there to see George Cutting. He was in the 90s at the time. And sometimes he was in coma. So when Brother Nee went there to visit him, he was sleeping in the bed. So Brother Nee sat by the bed and waiting for him to wake up. Now when he woke up, he told Brother Nee, he said, I cannot do without him. And he cannot do without me. Now he was referring he to God. He said, I cannot do without Christ. But I also say, Christ cannot do without me. Now that is his understanding. So Brother Nee said, he wants to change it. Not only that we cannot do without him, and he cannot do without me. She said, we should come to the point to see, I cannot do without you, and you cannot do without me. Now that's body life. Now when that body life began in you, not until, Consecration. So consecration is the key to that. Because if you read Romans chapter 12, 
in verse 1 it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's full number. Your body. Everyone has his or whole body. And the body here represents the whole being because it is referring to conduct. When it refers to behavior, conduct, it is the body that expresses it. So, it doesn't mean just the body. It means the whole being. You know, but our body, each has his or her body. We must present it as a living sacrifice. When you do that, there is a transformation in your mind. Your mind will be renewed. And then, in verse 5, you begin to see the body. Singular number. You begin to see that you are a member in that body. You are not alone. So, strictly speaking, we begin to see the body. That is to say, we begin to see that without the body, we cannot live. I cannot live without the body. And the body cannot live without me. We begin to see this after consecration. Now, if you, if you have read that book called Serve in Spirit, Brother Nee gave some messages in 1949. And there is a chapter on consecration. Now, we think that consecration is once for all. Not so. Consecration is a daily matter. It's like the burnt offering. It has to be continued day and night. You know. And you consecrate according to what you understand. So when we first consecrate ourselves to the Lord, you only consecrate to the extent of what you understand. It is not full consecration. And then you find after you consecrate, the Lord began to work in your life. And he began to bring you into some crisis. And through these crises, it tests your consecration. You will find your consecration is not It's after such kind of testing that your consecration began to be real. And after your consecration began to be real, then the Lord will continue to lead you on the way of consecration until you reach what Andrew Murray called absolute surrender. So it is a process, you know, and but thank God that consecration really start to open your eyes to see that you cannot live without your brother and sister. That will be the first time you realize you belong to the body. 
you know. Uh, otherwise, I mean, mentally you may know it, but spiritually you are still outside. So we need to uh, look to the Lord that He will really lead us in the way of consecration. And more and more you begin to be burdened with the house of God. Instead of only burden with yourself or with your immediate family. So it is something that you have to allow the Lord to gradually work in your life. You know. Now there's another question. Secret of Christian living. According to Luke nine twenty three. Yeah, 9.23. If we want to follow the Lord, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. What is considered our cross? Since this is a daily exercise, how do we recognize a, a cross so that we don't miss the opportunity? Will we know it in our spirit? Or is this something that we need to be mindful and watchful about? God willing, I will, I will speak more on that tomorrow. <laughs> but I think it is clear. Why is it the Lord said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow. Why? It is because our soul life is the problem. It is because he wants to save our soul life. Because as long as our soul life is not saved, we will not be able to be transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. So you can see how serious it is. Who is your biggest enemy? The word? Satan or yourself. We don't realize the self is the biggest enemy to our spiritual life. It is the hardest to be saved from. And that's the reason why the Lord said you have to deny yourself. And this is something you have to go through daily. Otherwise, you cannot follow me. Because that's the way the Lord lived while he was on earth. Now, what is a cross? We do not choose our cross. We do not create our own cross. For ourselves, nor for other people. It is the Holy Spirit who is in charge of that. He knows us so well. He knows how to deal with our soul life. In what stage? In what area? And he will arrange our crosses to bear every day. 
it is when God's will and your will cross each other. That's a cross. What you like and what God like cross each other. That's your cross. What you love and what he loves cross each other. You got the cross. So you find every day in our daily life, whether it is people, whether it is a thing, whether it is an event, you know, in our daily life, we need many crosses. And the reason why is God wants to put our self-life to death. So, what is visible may be people that crosses you. Maybe things that crosses you. Maybe event, environment that crosses you. But actually, behind it, it is the spirit and the flesh. Spirit and the soul. God and yourself. That's the cross. The Holy Spirit will arrange you. And when the cross comes, if you deny yourself, you are able to bear it. If you don't deny yourself, you can escape it. But if you escape it, your self's life, your soul is not saved. So, that's what it means here. And we know it in our spirit. It is not something that you only try to figure out. You know, in your spirit, you know what it is. And oftentimes, when such things happen, you try to reason yourself out. It's above reason. God has his own reason. And it is something that you don't need to be... Uh, well, on the one hand, you need to watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. That's true. But in another way, it is not something that uh, uh, you only realize it because uh, you are watching it. Even if you are not watching it, in your spirit, you will sense it. So it is not something outward. It is something that goes on within your spirit. So, uh, if your spirit is active and exercising, normal, you know, you will have the cross. But if your spirit is dull, you don't have the cross. 
the Holy Spirit may arrange the cross, but you don't realize it. And if you don't realize it, you don't take it up. So it all depends on your spirit condition. Do not think because today you have no cross, so you are happy about it. Maybe your spirit is not alert. But don't try to create crosses. <laughs> Madame Guillaume, many people uh, admire her very much. She loved the cross. And she even tried to create crosses. But that's overdue. So just put yourself in the hand of God. He has the wisdom to know how to deal with you. How much you can bear at a certain time. He knows it. And if the cross comes, be sure that he has already given you enough strength to bear it. Because he measured with what he has already deposited in your life. So thank God for that. You know, it's wonderful. And then, of course, the next question is almost the same. He said, how can we experience... Oh, no, the the, the last question. Now, I'll skip it and, and then the last question. When a Christian faces crisis or trial, is it normal that it can be joyful or sorrowful at the same time? Why is it one can feel like that? Now that's true. When you are in a crisis, when a cross crosses your way, you have mixed feelings. So far as your soul is concerned, is sorrowful. So far as your spirit is concerned, if you obey, you are joyful. You know, even our Lord Jesus, you remember, when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, my soul is sorrowful, even unto death. Why? Because that sinless soul is to become seen. And he cut his step. He was sorrowful even unto death. But deep down in his spirit, he said, not my will, but thy will be done. So you do find that when you are going through crisis like that, that's your experience. You know. And and go back to the former question. How can we experience fullness of Christ if we do not know Christ well? How can we knowing Christ better and clearer in practical way? Now the fullness of Christ is always something beyond us. To put it another way, 
who can fathom the fullness of Christ? Because the fullness of Christ is the fullness of God. And no one person can apprehend all the fullness of Christ. It takes the whole body to apprehend it. So that's what you find in the second prayer of Paul in the letter to the Ephesians. Maybe maybe we read it. Ephesians chapter 3. That's the second prayer of Paul. The first prayer is for revelation. That God will give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him. Now the second prayer is for apprehension. Not only revealed, but you apprehend it. You possess it. Now how do you possess it? Now that's prayer said. Verse 16. It's with 15 verses. 16. In order that he may give you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power by his spirit in the inner man. In other words, you will not be able to experience Christ and his fullness until your spirit gets strong. And how can our spirit become strong? Strong enough to overcome ourselves. We need the strengthening of the Holy Spirit in the inner man. The inner man is the Spirit. So in other words, when the Holy Spirit empowers our spirit, make it so strong, then what happens? That the Christ may dwell through faith in your hearts. And the hearts here is the soul. You know, because the heart is the pathway between the spirit and the soul. The heart includes the three functions of the soul plus one function in the spirit conscious. And here you'll find because your spirit is so strong So the life of the Spirit, Christ, began to invade into the soul and drives out, as it were, the self, which is the life of the soul. And when this happened, you began to experience Christ. And you began to apprehend the fullness of Christ with the Holy Spirit. So, that is the way you come into the fullness of Christ. And I I believe that uh, uh, this is 
if you want to come to a Christian experience. Now, this is the way we have to experience. So, briefly, that's it. <laughs> I, I, I hope it may help you a little bit. And if not, well, look to the Lord because He is the one who alone can save us to that. <laughs>